Howdy, everyone, and welcome back to the Start Where You Stand podcast. I'm your host, Madeline Onstott, and this is a show dedicated to you. Individuals with a lot of ambition who need some career and or identity-related direction. In this show, we specifically utilize modern personality and strength research from Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, Strength Finders, Love Languages, and more to maximize your human potential. In future episodes, we'll additionally host interview and Socratic dialogue episodes to extract the mantras, routines, priorities of successful high performers. And these tools can help you push past current boundaries and glass ceilings to optimize your strengths to lead yourself to new heights and custom tailor your high performing routine. Our new listeners, I'm so happy you're here. According to Woody Allen, 80% of success is just showing up. The other 20% depends on what you're going to show up for. So today, I want to start by asking you, what are you showing up for? Now write that down and put it somewhere that you'll see daily. It could be in the visor of your car. It can be on the mirror in your bathroom, etc. Find somewhere unique to you where you will see it daily and hopefully multiple times a day. As we impart on this episode today, I want you to keep that question or whatever you wrote down in the back of your mind. Let that serve as a motivation to take this information as deep or as far as you're willing to take it. To our returning listeners, thank you for your patience with me. I know it's been a while since my last episode. Since then, life has thrown many fires my way to put out, many new responsibilities to take on, a new season of life full of distractions, new and old. Between the extensive research that I've put into these new episodes that are about to come out, life's interruptions, plus some cool rebranding efforts, it's taken a while for me to get back on the mic and get into a flow state. I want to use this exigent circumstance of life just pulling me away from my passions to normalize the season in each of our lives, which may be less productive or where we have more obligations than others, and navigate those consciously. Being a type 3, I tend to seek accomplishment not for the monetary things like a type 7 or for control like a type 8, though those are also perks to accomplishment. But I rather have this underlying fear of being worthless or empty at the end of the day. I tend to achieve for the feeling of accomplishment and the increased attention that comes with it, good or bad. Um, Don't worry, we'll explore your unique type later on in this episode. But for now, I'll speak about my own experience. Underneath stress, I tend to devalue myself if I'm not at peak efficiency and accomplishing something significant. I undervalue the blessing it is to wake up and have my physiological and safety needs met. The value of daily interpersonal connection, the significance of a clean and organized space, internal peace even. I think holistically speaking, we all go through seasons where we are tired, stretched too thin with obligations, lack motivation, and or we're just depleted of all of our energy and emotions. This season is or can lead to the dreaded burnout. Oh my gosh, I hate saying that word because I've already experienced two burnouts in my life. I don't know about you guys, but in a later Optimal Performance episode, we'll We'll talk more about burnout, the warning signs, and the science of combating it. But for now, what I want you to take away is the mindset that these seasons are normal. 
Heck, you may even be going through one right now or coming out of one just like me, but it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Remember that why I asked you earlier? Let that serve as a reminder for what you're working for, but also let it be motivation to take a risk or to do something aligned with your core values whenever you're feeling stagnant. A great action item to follow through with navigating burnout is to identify the distractions versus identifying obligations. A hierarchy of to-dos will help you save the energy that you have stored from the night before and use that for things that are necessary rather than wasting that energy on things that may drain or distract you more than lead you in the right direction. All right. Back to our normal program. Today's episode has two parts. This very popular personality inventory Enneagram was designed as a modern synthesis of ancient traditions that was compiled by Oscar Echazo. I'm not sure if I'm saying his last name right, but for the sake of today, we're going to call him Oscar Ichazo. It's I-C-H-H-A-Z-O. In today's first episode, we're going to talk about the history of the inventory, what it's commonly used for, how it can be misused, and of course, then in episode two, we're going to delve into the nine types and some high-level takeaways for each type to start incorporating into your high-performing routine. This is because I have done a lot of research into Enneagram and it is definitely a passion of mine. It has a lot of layers um, similar to Shrek's onion. So without further ado, we're going to get started. But remember, there's two episodes and this is episode one. So Achazo was born in South America and moved across Latin America in the early years of his life. He eventually traveled to Asia, um, which has some influence in the development of the Enneagram, and then he returned to Chile in his later years. Throughout his travels, he compiled wisdom about our inner workings. They didn't really have the coined term personality, um, personality types as drastic as we do now during these times. So he designed a systematic approach to transmitting that knowledge. This was the start of the ARCA school in 1968. Um, Many noted, well noted actually, American psychologists went to Chile to learn from Echazo. And during their apprenticeship, the students touched on psychology, they talked about cosmology, metaphysics, spirituality, and the ancient symbol of the Enneagram dating all the way back to Pythagoras. So if you know, you know how interesting the Enneagram symbol is. George Gorgeff was among the first to actually teach the meaning of this symbol and represented its process. Gorgeff didn't teach the types though associated with the symbol, so he did um, get a lot of credit for the Enneagram workings but he is not the one that should claim the title of putting together the Enneagram. But he did, like I said, define some characteristics of the types. True to his Sufi roots, though, um, he sought to explain what kind of idiot each of us were. (laughs) People could be round idiots, square idiots, subjective, hopeless idiots, squirming idiots, so on and so forth. I don't know about you guys, but if I were called a squared idiot, I might have a few choice words for that person. But nonetheless, 
now that we've talked about a little bit of the history, let's look back at the basics of how the Enneagram system works. Originally, there were 108 Enneagrams. I know. That sounds very conflicting to what you may already know. Um, I'm not talking about personality types. Enneagrams um, in relation to the diagram is what we're referencing here which I'll explain further what that means in a minute. But in the United States, we actually only focus on four. Those are the Enneagrams of Passion, the Enneagrams of Virtues, the Enneagrams of Fixation, and Holy Ideas. These dimensions serve to separate the essence of a person from their personality and their ego, um, which are two of the same things. The ego is a heightened version of your personality type. Echazo is also incorporated these three centers of human intelligence Uh, those are thinking feeling and instinct as well as plato's nine divine forms um, becoming versus being to isolate the worldview and opinion versus intellect i want to speak to you and not above you in this podcast so i'm going to do my best to thoroughly and clearly explain what you actually need to know from that So the Enneagram is extensive and intentional with its makeup. However, I don't want y'all to be intimidated by the layers. Once you're briefed, it's actually quite simple. The Enneagram has nine distinct personality types. It's normal to identify with some characteristics of many types, but one should primarily stick out to you. From my personality research, one thing that you need to take away from this is that we have a nature personality type and a nurtured personality type. Who we are versus whom we ought to be. Our natural personality is developed between the time of birth and five years old. By science, um, they suggest that our unconscious has developed enough to have a separate sense of self by five, which is why that, that stands as that framework. This should emphasize that early environments do have an extreme influence on our personality. And after a certain point, it shapes our identity too. So, what are the takeaways? Now knowing the history and the framework of your basic personality and the fact that it won't change, you should also know there's no gender or age influence, the concepts are universal, and you are an array of attitudes and behaviors. Therefore, numerical labels don't hold as much influence as you want them to. The numbers are neutral. One isn't better than the other, and there is no ranking among the nine different types. All right, okay. Enough about this. Let's get to the good stuff. I want to add that I have used a lot of resources to develop this episode. I want to give credit to the Enneagram Institute, Cambridge, and Truity Resources for equipping me with a proper history and information on today's show. The Enneagram is a three-by-three array of nine personality types that are unique and they have three centers that are associated there's an instinctive center a feeling center and a thinking center these centers have three pros and three cons associated with them or in terms of the inventory they utilize liability and assets you'll find that though you can relate to a few of these personality types and their strengths and their weaknesses one is going to stick out to you the most your measurement to these assets and liabilities actually serve as an indicator for which personality type is going to be your primary. And then one of the two types adjacent to your basic type will be dictated as your quote-unquote wing. 
your basic personality type dominates, and the main wing complements by adding important and sometimes very conflicting aspects of of your total personality, which is essential to really knowing yourself and to also if you're utilizing this tool to understand a partner or a colleague or a peer, professor, a family member, etc. It's important um, because those conflictions can be riveting. Think of your primary type in the wings as a, a fair sided coin. So it has a heads and a tails. And I know that in my psychology class, I have to specify fair because there are questions that are intended to trick you that are a cheated coin, right? Where it has two heads and they want you to, to point out the details. So in this instance, in this analogy, you have a fair coin. Both sides have to be taken into consideration whenever you predict what it'll land on, right? Whenever you flip it. Because tails never fails, I want you to think of your primary type as tails and then your wings as heads. The toss is representative of the circumstances life may throw your way, you under stress, um, you in your most optimal condition, etc. And it's what aspect, which side is going to shine through the most amidst that environment? What combinations of behaviors and perceptions are going to influence, um, are going to be influenced by your circumstances? There are nine levels of development that make up a personality. There are behaviors, attitudes, defenses, motivations, etc. As you can tell between Myers-Briggs, that episode, and this episode regarding Enneagram, personality can be as complex or as simple as you want to make it. Regardless of the complexity, personalities are undeniably dynamic. Depending on the environment, the extrinsic and intrinsic pressures, shifting circumstances that your personality um, has, has pressure on, you undergo change. A humorous example um, that I think is quite common considering now there's a term for it called hangry is whenever someone may come and talk to me for the first time before I eat. <laughs> I typically have a problem being a type 3 achiever of working through my lunches to to get a task done. I like the feeling of that completion. Um, therefore, if I don't have any food in my stomach and I've already worked through my lunch, I could I can be a little bit short-tempered or at least not myself. I think I've gotten better in regards to patience um, and I know what I need to do to fix the circumstances. However, I'm not my best self, that's for sure. However, if they were to meet me after I ate and I had some time to debrief and relax a little bit from the project, um, then they might have a different perception of me, right, or, or how I operate. That's, I think it's very typical. Mo- like most of us in this scenario, my environment and my circumstances would be putting pressure on my personality and behavior. The good news is Enneagram is a great predictive indicator for how one may react at their best under normal conditions and then under stress. As we transition towards unhealthy levels, we embrace more of our ego. And as we transition into our optimal conditions, we embody our highest self. Da-da-da-da! If you made it this far, you are now equipped with the generic makeup of the inventory. Now we're going to prepare you for taking the inventory and understanding yourself to lead yourself into a better routine and state of mind. 
there are two tests that I recommend if you have not already taken the Enneagram. I want to provide two options, the original version and then a free version, because I know not everyone has $12 to spend, let alone wants to spend $12 on a personality test. I will disclose that the Ready or the R-H-E-T-I, also known as the Rezo Hudson Enneagram Type Indicator, will provide you with the most accurate and detailed results. This is the original uh, test. It's scientifically validated and it provides detailed type descriptions for your three top scores and it goes through comprehensive summaries for each type. That test takes roughly 40 minutes to complete. It has 144 questions and statements where you answer out of the two available options which most relates to you. For example, a statement may be, I have tended to, and the two available choices may say, take on confrontations or avoid confrontations, and you would select the most applicable choice. Again, similar to my advice from Myers-Briggs, it is to your own benefit to answer as accurately and instinctively as possible. Try not to answer as you would for an exam in school where you're answering the quote-unquote right or socially desirable answer. You'll get to the results page and feel like the type is nothing like you. This inventory is a tool, not Zoltar the fortune teller in the wishing machine. It serves to help you uncover yourself with the right equipment, not read you in your subconscious. The questions can only account for the contradictions in your personality through inconsistent responses. However, I know enough of you out there listening can probably account for and avoid those inconsistencies too. You sly dogs. The thing about our education system um, is that I think it's taught a lot of us and this new generation of students coming up how to utilize our resources to our advantage and answer in a socially desirable way to receive credit. Um, So let's not do that as we approach taking the Enneagram. I want to reiterate the importance of honesty. In counseling practices, we start with the individual first identifying the problem, right? You always hear the stereotypical AA meaning, hi, my name's so-and-so, and I am an addict. You can't fix something that you don't believe to be an issue or that you don't believe even exists. Your personality isn't a problem. As I mentioned earlier, there is no superior personality type, and the strengths of how you uniquely operate contribute as much good to your environment, colleagues, and community as your weaknesses do. That being said, I believe some of the best advice I got in life so far is if you don't like something, do something about it. You are not succumb by your circumstances, you overcome your circumstances. If the tire on your bike is flat and you are aware if you go for a ride, it'll take more effort, you may not move, or you could bend the rim and have a larger issue. On the other hand, if you choose to fill the tire back up or replace the tire if it's necessary, your ride will be a lot smoother and more enjoyable. There are millions of analogies that I can give with the same message. But what I want you to take away is that avoidance is complacency. If you don't like something, or in this instance, some of your behavioral and personality attributes, do something about it. Or don't complain. This self-discovery journey isn't for the faint of heart. As we nurture ourselves to our fullest potential, 
we are our biggest advocates and at the same time we can be our biggest barrier. We're only going to be as strong as our weakest link. Okay, finally, the free test that I'm going to suggest to you is Truity. I have linked both inventories in the description, so the Truity test is set up a bit differently from the Ready. There are 98 questions actually on this inventory. They suggest a time frame of 10 minutes to take the assessment. I know many of you guys are like, 98 questions, 10 minutes, what? This is again answering instinctively. Um, the questions are framed similarly to the Myers-Briggs or MBTI. It has a five-level Likert scale response from inaccurate to accurate. An example statement is, I strive for perfection. And you would answer with inaccurate, slightly inaccurate, neutral, slightly accurate, accurate, etc. And continue with the rest of the assessment, preferably in the one sitting. This test has also been scientifically validated to relay accurate results. Of course, any self-reported test cannot be 100% accurate, but it does provide you with the scores for all nine types, just like the Ready, and a custom report for your type. Truity is just a suggestion. There are many other free assessments that hold credibility, like the Enneagram Coach, Crystal, Cloverleaf, etc. I can link all of those in the description as well. It would work to your advantage if you have the time and would rather not pay for the Ready Original exam to take multiple versions of the free assessments and cross-check your results for any discrepancies. The last thing that we're going to be doing on today's episode before we wrap up is a generic one-word descriptor um, and four-word sets of traits for each of the types one through nine um, provided by the Enneagram Institute just so you're a little bit familiar with some of the results that you may get going into the inventory rather than coming out of it. So a type one can be defined as principled, purposeful, self-controlled, and perfectionistic. A type two is generous, demonstrative, people-pleasing, possessive. A type three is adaptable, excellent, driven, and image-conscious. Type 4 is expressive, dramatic, self-absorbed, temperamental. Type 5 is perceptive, innovative, secretive, and can be isolated. Type 6 is very engaging, responsible, anxious, but also can be suspicious. A type 7 is spontaneous, very versatile, acquisitive, and scattered at times. Type 8 can be really self-confident, decisive, willful, but very confrontational. And finally, a type 9 is receptive, reassuring, complacent, and redesigned. I specifically wanted to utilize these descriptors, one, because they're straight from the Enneagram Institute. They're going to be um, better defined than what I could do. But I also wanted to stick to the labeling of type 1 through 9 in this episode specifically before I throw in the labels associated with each type. It just makes it a little bit less confusing and a little bit more strategic. Anyways, that's going to be it for today's episode on part 1 of the Enneagram Inventory where we discussed the history, um, common misuses, and how to take the exam and how to be prepared for it. Now it's time for you to actually take it, if you haven't already, of course. If you have, 
feel free to check back uh, for part two in the next week where we're going to delve into each of these nine types and discuss type-specific actions related to reducing problems in your life um, and our seven dimensions model. That is career selection, identity alignment, uh, commitment, scheduling, physical wellness, financial wellness, and leadership development. I want you to print out your results whenever you have them. If you don't have your results and you already know your type, then I suggest you to retake the assessment and print out those results. Highlight the aspects of your type descriptions that match you and cross out the aspects that don't. Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, Strength Finders, Love Languages, all of these inventories are tools and not magic. They serve to assist you in your understanding and development, but they're not to be trusted as 100% accurate. So set aside five minutes or so to do that. And while you're doing that, I want you to keep your why from earlier set out in front of you. Utilize that as intrinsic motivation to dig as deep as you want to go with it. What areas of your life are you the least satisfied with right now? And together, we are going to plan a, an avenue of attack to start fixing those in your routine, um, to start shifting your perspective and your circumstances, moving out of these next few episodes. Again, I'm Madeline Ansa. I'm the host of the Start Where You Stand podcast. And remember, it's not where you start. It's how you finish.